This is RCT number 9, The Trinity. This is the Roman Catechism of Trent, RCT. My name is Father David Nix. I'm a diocesan hermit with a rule of life accepted by my bishop, which makes me kind of a monk missionary. If you're wondering who's doing these podcasts, RCT stands for Roman Catechism of Trent. And today we are on page 22 to 24 discussing the Trinity. This is part one of the Roman Catechism of Trent, the Creed, Article 1, Phrase 3. And just a quick note before starting, you know, I'm thinking of just kind of kicking around in my brain, so I'm not committing to this yet, but I'm thinking of a Sunday sermon series that will come out very early every Sunday morning on the Old Rite, the traditional Latin Mass. I'm thinking of starting that in Advent of 2022, so this December. The only thing is it's going to be on audio version only. I won't be doing the video. I'm going to probably do this. If I do it, it's going to be only on the audio version for Sunday sermons. Why? Because I'm already overcommitted and it doesn't take me much time to produce a podcast. It does take me quite a bit more time to upload this to YouTube and then send it over to my friend Brandon, who takes care of it on Rumble and BitChute. Um, so we may just do the audio. So do consider tuning in every Sunday morning for my Sunday sermon series starting in 2023, technically Advent of 2022. And let us begin in prayer. In nomine Patris, Fidit, Spiritus Sancti, Amen. Heavenly King, Consoler Spirit, Spirit of Truth, who art present everywhere and filling all things, treasure of all good and source of all life, come dwell in us, cleanse us and save us, you who are all good. In nomine Patris, Fidit, Spiritus Sancti, Amen. Now, if you remember, RCT 8, that was about God the Father, and we saw these mysterious but inviting words from Pope Pius V, or whoever wrote that under his production. We saw that this term, God the Father, that doesn't just reveal origin to us, but it also has to imply relation to others, other members of the Trinity. So let's just review these words from last time. But the pastor should teach that on hearing the word Father, Besides the ideas already unfolded, the mind should rise to more exalted mysteries. Under the name Father, the divine oracles begin to unveil to us a mysterious truth which is more obtruse and more deeply hidden in that inaccessible light in which God dwells and which human reason and understanding could not attain to nor even conjecture to exist. This name implies that in the one essence of the Godhead is proposed to our belief not only one person, but a distinction of persons. For in one divine nature there are three persons, the Father begotten of none, the Son begotten of the Father before all ages, the Holy Ghost proceeding from the Father and the Son, likewise from all eternity. Again, notice that that very term Father, as in God the Father, doesn't necessitate, but does indeed imply not only origin, but also relation. What about these relations in the Trinity? Well, we're about to see that the relationships within the Trinity is primarily not due to you and me existing as creatures in time, but these are eternal relations within the Trinity itself. So now on RCT 9, or in the Catechism, pages 22 to 24. Again, this is the old school Catechism from the 16th century, not the new one from the 1990s. And this old Catechism, RCT reads, The Doctrine of the Trinity. In the one substance of the divinity, the Father is the first person, who with his only begotten Son and the Holy Ghost is one God and one Lord, not in the singularity of one person, 
but in the trinity of one substance. These three persons, since it would be impiety to assert that they are unlike or unequal in anything, are understood to be distinct only in their respective properties. For the Father is unbegotten, the Son begotten of the Father, and the Holy Ghost proceeds from both. So let's stop right there. What the Catechism is saying here is that there are indeed three persons, but only one God. Now, what is this term, a person? Is that like a man or a woman? No, the three persons of the Trinity are pure spirit with no body. By person, we can understand something like the center of one's responsibility. And God the Father is God, God the Son is God, and God the Holy Spirit is God. Now, of course, only one of those three became a human being. That is, God the Son became man as Jesus Christ. But his existence as God the Son is eternal, whereas he was born in time as a man to the Blessed Virgin Mary. And this is why we say Jesus is a divine person, not a human person. Now, I'm not denying the humanity of Jesus in saying that. Of course, Jesus is 100% human, with not only a created human body, but also a created human soul. But who made that body and soul? He did. He is God. God the Son made it, just as God the Father did, and God the Holy Spirit made that body and soul of Jesus. But the center of Christ's responsibility is divine. And this is why we say he's a divine person. You can't be two persons. So he's 100% divine and 100% human, but he is a divine person. Now, there's a lot of analogies on the Trinity today, and really for 2,000 years, and all of them fail. But I'm going to give you what I think is the least bad, and that is the analogy of fire. So, imagine looking at a fire, whether it's in your fireplace, or a raging forest fire, or just a big lighter in your hand. Notice that the flame is not the light. The light is not the heat. The heat is not the flame. But you cannot have the flame without the light, nor the light without the heat, nor the heat without the flame. So it's one fire. And so also you have God the Father, the origin, like the flame. Christ, the light of the world, as the light. And the fire of the Holy Spirit, as the fire. Now, of course, every analogy breaks down. But that, that is my least unfavorite, so to speak. Because it doesn't fall into the heresy of modalism or Sabellianism. Those are the same things. Sabellianism and modalism. What is that? That is a heresy that teaches God, well, he sometimes shows himself in the Bible as Father, and God sometimes shows himself as Son, and sometimes shows himself as Holy Spirit, but there is no distinction of persons there. That heresy of Sabellianism was attempt by people a long time ago to maintain in our little human brains that really can't conceive of this idea of three persons in one deity, and so maybe there was a noble attempt in that and wanting to maintain God as one, but the church has condemned it as a heresy nearly 2,000 years ago because it fails to recognize there are three persons in the Trinity. Now, you would think that the church declaring it an error 1,700 years ago, or however long ago it was, you would think that would stop people like modernists like Karl Rahner from espousing such an old Trinitarian heresy like Sabellianism slash modalism. But he, he also taught the Trinity was just, quote, a distinct manner of God's subsisting. That is a capital G. He wasn't referring to three gods, but in brackets, G-O-D apostrophe S, subsisting. So three different distinct manners. Well, that's the total heresy of Sabellianism popping up in the 20th century. Further proof of what Pope St. Pius X said, that modernism is truly the synthesis of all heresies. Every heresy these old guys dig up. 
Uh, Sabellianism is a little bit like the Manny Faces He-Man toy, if you remember. I call it the Manny Faces heresy because if you remember that He-Man figurine from 30 years ago where the figurine could show one of three faces, but it was only one character. And again, kids, that's a heresy of the Trinity, so don't hold to it. This, this idea that there was just three modes of one God. Well, no, we believe in one God, but there are three distinct persons. And so that's why, again, this fire analogy is probably best that you have one fire, but you cannot have the flame without the light, nor the light without the heat, nor the heat without the flame. And in some sense, there, the flame is the origin. That's why in the last CPX on God the Father, we now lead in today, into today on the Trinity. So yes, God the Father is the origin, but God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are generated and spirated, respectively, in eternity. So it's not like there was a time when, say, God the Father existed without God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. All three are eternal. In fact, we believe in only one God, one substance, and that's why, in some sense, the main difference between each of the three different persons of the Trinity is only their relation to each other. We just heard in the Catechism, these three persons, since it would be impiety or wrong, to assert that they are unlike or unequal in anything, are understood to be distinct only in their respective properties. Okay, let's continue in the Catechism and notice as we go how there's not one drop more of glory in God the Father than in God the Son or the God the Holy Spirit as you listen. The Catechism says, Thus we acknowledge the essence and the substance of the three persons to be the same in such ways that we believe that in confessing the true and eternal God, we are piously and religiously to adore distinctions in the persons, unity in the essence, and equality in the Trinity. Hence, when we say that the Father is the first person, we are not to be understood to mean that in the Trinity there is anything first or last, greater or less. Let none of the faithful be guilty of such impiety, for the Christian religion proclaims the same eternity, the same majesty of glory in the three persons. But since the Father is the beginning without a beginning, we truly and unhesitatingly affirm that he is the first person, and as he is distinct from the others by his peculiar relation of paternity, so him alone it is true that he begot the Son from eternity. For when in the creed we pronounce together the words God and Father, it means that he was always both God and Father. Me again. So God the Father has no more glory than God the Son or God the Holy Spirit. They are all three persons in eternity, and they are equally glorious, but we know God the Father is different only by relation of paternity, as the Catechism said. Okay, the Catechism now continues in a section called Practical Admonitions Concerning the Mystery of the Trinity. Since nowhere is too curious inquiry more dangerous or error more fatal than in the knowledge and exposition of this, the most profound and difficult of mysteries, let the pastor teach that the terms nature and person used to express this mystery, should be most scrupulously retained. And let the faithful know that unity belongs to essence and distinctions to persons. Me again, that was really important. Notice the fact God is one is tied up into the fact that unity belongs to essence, and the fact God is three persons is tied up to what the Catechism just called a distinction to persons. And again, by persons, we are not talking about human beings. We are talking about centers of responsibility, eternal spirits. Now, of course, the second person of the Trinity became man, but that the incarnation is a different, to different topic than today's topic of the Trinity. The Catechism continues, 
But these are truths which should not make the subject of too subtle investigation when we recollect that he who is a searcher of majesty shall be overwhelmed by glory, Proverbs 25, 27. Me again, notice what it's saying here is you're not going to understand the Trinity till you get to heaven, please God. And even then, after, say, a trillion years, you being in the beatific vision, if you make it there, please God, if I make it there, please God, after a trillion years of staring into the depths of the Trinity, we'll still be, so to speak, falling deeper into this infinite mystery of the Trinity and still not even be scratching the surface of, of God's infinite glory. So on earth, we have to avoid two extremes. We can't just joke about the Trinity and say, it's a mystery, don't ask questions. We hear that way too often. But on the other side, if we rack our brains too hard thinking how three persons can equal one God, it could hurt our faith. St. Maximus the Confessor said, Even if the Godhead, which is beyond all, is worshipped by us as Trinity and as unity, we know neither the three nor the one as numbers. Now, of course, he's not denying the one and the three part like common core math, but he is saying we're not really going to get it, so to speak, here on earth until the beatific vision. And that's why we're stuck with the least bad analogy, which again, I think, is that of the fire. Okay, we continue on with... This question of what level of understanding Pope Pius V, the producer of this catechism in the 16th century, what level of understanding the Roman Catechism of Trent wants us to have of the Blessed Trinity? And notice, notice how the author of this catechism includes prayer as much as study in how to approach this greatest of all mysteries. We should be satisfied with the assurance and certitude which faith gives us that we have been taught these truths by God himself. To doubt whose word is the extreme of folly and misery, he has said, Teach ye all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. And again, there are three who give testimony in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. 1 John 5, 7. Let him whoever, who by the divine bounty believes these truths, constantly beseech and implore God and the Father, who made all things out of nothing, and ordereth all things sweetly, Wisdom 8.1, who gave us power to become the sons of God, John 1.12, and who made known to the human mind the mystery of the Trinity, let him, I say, pray unceasingly that admitted one day into the eternal tabernacles, Luke 16.9, he may be worthy to see how great is the fecundity of the Father, who contemplating and understanding himself begot the Son, like and equal to himself, how a love of charity in both, entirely the same and equal, which is the Holy Ghost, proceeding from the Father and the Son, connects the begetter and the begotten by an eternal and indissoluble bond, and that thus the essence of the Trinity is one and the distinctions of the three persons perfect. Me again. So notice that God the Son is God the Father's infinite contemplation of himself, and breathe from this in eternity, not in time, in love is the Holy Spirit. In fact, that love is the Holy Spirit. Listen again to the Catechism. The fecundity of the Father, who contemplating and understanding himself, begot the Son, like and equal to himself. How a love of charity in both, entirely the same and equal, which is the Holy Ghost, proceeding from the Father and the Son, connects the begetter and the begotten by an eternal and indissoluble bond. Now, we have to ask in this, does the Holy Spirit come from the Father, or does the Holy Spirit come from the Father and the Son? Or since we're talking about things not in time, but in eternity, maybe I should ask with the verb being proceed. 
does the Holy Spirit proceed from the Father alone, or does the Holy Spirit proceed from the Father and the Son? Now, that's a tricky question, and half of you know where I'm going now, but still hang in there. You may remember my CPX 33, which I will link in the show notes. And in there, I describe the fact that we have 23 Eastern Catholic churches that comprise only about 1% of the Catholic population worldwide right now. But then we have 99% of Catholics, and they exist in the Western Church, also called the Roman or the Latin Church. Most of you listening are that, but not all of you. And we know from the Bible there can only be one church, so I actually prefer, prefer the term rites, R-I-T-E-S, not different churches. Okay, so in the Catholic Church, we have 23 Eastern rites and one Western rite. Now, most of the Eastern rites believe that the Holy Spirit proceeds only from the Father. And this is also what Greek Orthodox and Russian Orthodox believe to this day. We in the West, or Latin Church, we believe that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. Okay, so hang on for about 30 boring seconds of the Latin here because it's important. Son in the dative declension, S-O-N, not S-U-N, but S-O-N in the dative declension in Latin is filio. But in the nominative, let's say we were to translate and the son, it would be et filius. But in the dative, you can add a Q-U-E, pronounced in Latin que, at the end of a noun, and make it and. So the words that we say in the Western Creed, filio que, literally means and the son. Okay, what about and the son? Well, in other words, we say in the Creed that God, the Holy Spirit, proceeds from the Father and the Son, or filioque in Latin. And that is a huge, huge debate. Should filioque be in there? Well, the Greeks very much despise filioque, and they say, no, it should not be in there. And this is why, by the way, for about 1,100 years, this has been known as the filioque debate, where we in the West, we do have filioque in our Creed, that is, the fact that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, hence filioque. But again, the big question between East and West is, does the Holy Spirit proceed from the Father alone, as the East says, or does the Holy Spirit proceed from the Father and the Son? Now, I'm a Westerner, so I totally believe in filioque, but it's not just because I was born of Irish and German blood. I'm also convinced by lines in Scripture, like Galatians 4, 6, and because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now, let's get into some real light apologetics on the filioque. We're not going to go super heavy, but we in the West would say that if the Holy Spirit proceeded only from the Father, then the relation between Father and Son is really no different from the relation between Father and Holy Spirit, which is a problem since we said earlier the difference between each person of the Trinity is only relation. So we would say you're looking at God the Father having basically two sons if you reject the filioque. But then the Eastern Rite Catholics or the Greek Orthodox, they could come back to that and say, well, yeah, but if the Holy Spirit proceeds from Father and Son, then you have two eternal origins, which is basically two fathers, which is worse. Clearly, I'm not going to settle an 1,100-year debate between the Latins and the Greeks on a 25-minute podcast, but I will say I very much believe in the Filioque, and so does the Roman Catechism of Trent. It is a big dividing issue. Now, some Greek Orthodox I respect, like Father Josiah Trenum. He's a Greek Orthodox priest in Los Angeles. He was recently on Tucker Carlson for standing against mutilating surgeries of children. Very much like this Greek Orthodox priest. And he very much believes that we Catholics are wrong for believing in the filioque. Now, of course, I disagree with him, uh, but I feel like he's my Orthodox doppelganger because he puts objective truth ahead of human feelings. In other words, he believes what he believes without any touch of ecumenism, and I really love that, even though I think he's wrong on the filioque. 
Father Josiah points out that the creed did not have filioque added in the West until, I can't remember if it's the 9th or 10th century. And he is correct on that. Father Josiah points out that even a Roman pope in the first millennium, I think around the year 800, he did post the creed to the doors of the Vatican, and this creed did not have the words filioque in there. Now that's true, but this pope, Pope Leo III, that's the pope he's referring to, he did personally believe in the filioque, even if it wasn't on the doors of the Vatican. He wasn't in favor of a change to the creed, but he still believed in the filioque. In fact, many saints did. St. Augustine believed in the filioque. Now, of course, some people in the East who haven't studied very much would say, oh, but he's a Western saint. Well, but he's greatly honored in the East too. I'm podcasting from Denver, Colorado, and if any of you have been to the big Greek Orthodox cathedral in Glendale, just outside of Denver, basically, uh, I think it's Leedsdale and somewhere where Leedsdale meets Colorado Boulevard, there's a big Greek Orthodox cathedral called Assumption, and in there is an enormous icon of St. Augustine. So the East, the Eastern Rites, and even the Eastern Orthodox greatly admire St. Augustine. But the bigger question, if we admit that great saints like Augustine believe the Holy Spirit proceeds in attorney from both Father and Son, is still, but can the creed be changed? St. Alphonsus Liguori writes about this tension in a book he has on heresies. And notice in the quote I'm about to give you, he's taking the more historical and apologetic approach than, say, one of his sermons based on heaven and hell. He says, The word filioque, and from the Son, which was added to the creed by the Latin Church to explain that the Holy Ghost proceeds both from the Father and the Son as from one principle was again debated. Mark, the Greek Archbishop of Ephesus, was the most strenuous opposition of this edition. It was unlawful, he said, to add anything to the ancient symbols of the Church. But our theologians, he means the Western theologians, replied that the promise made by Jesus Christ to assist his Church was not confined to any period but last till the end of time. Behold, I am with you all days, even until the consummation of the world. The word consubstantial was not, said they in the West, in the creed at first. And for all that, the Council of Nicaea thought it necessary to add it, to put an end to the subterfuges of the Arians and explain that the word was of the same substance as and in all things equal to the Father. The councils of Ephesus and Chalcedon also made an addition to the Nicene Creed to explain the two natures of Christ, divine and human, against Nestorius, who taught that he was a mere man, and against Eutyches, who asserted that the human was absorbed by the divine nature. Okay, that's the end of the quote. Notice that St. Alphonsus, he's just saying that on very, very rare occasions, a creed can be changed. You can add things to uh, stave off certain heretics. Now, of course, as we admit, the filioque was added to the creed, but that's not some major aha moment that the East holds against the West. That's why St. Alphonsus is saying, yeah, but even the East has agreed to certain changes to the creed. Now, granted, not everybody in the East, even today, is as contentious um, on this as, say, Father Josiah and I might be if we were to debate this on a podcast. And again, Father Josiah, if you hear this, I very much respect you not being ecumenical to us in the West. I respect you holding to your guns, even as I think you're wrong. That's why I think we get along really well. But let's remember, this is a conflict not just between Eastern Orthodox and Roman Catholics, but that the Eastern Catholic rites, like Greek Catholics, they do not say the filioque in their creed. Now, Rome allows this actually, and the Eastern churches stay in union with Rome with some of these small doctrinal debates, and this still causes a little bit of a rub. But is it small? Well, you know, one of the spiritual fathers to, of orthodoxy to that Los Angeles priest, Father Josiah Trenum, at least academically by the books he's read, is Father Callistos Ware, 
recently deceased or asleep in the Lord of Happy Memory, as they say in the Eastern Rites, he seemed to believe this wasn't an enormous issue. Now, if I understand correctly, and I'm open to correction, Father Callistos Ware, the late Father Callistos Ware, believed, maybe he was a bishop, maybe he was an abbot, I'm not sure, but he believed that common ground could be found on this filioque debate between East and West, or at least it didn't have to be a point of major contention between East and West. Again, I'm not sure what he taught in this, but if I personally, if I personally were to try to find a middle ground on the filioque, it goes like this. St. John Damascene, a 7th century Greek father, in his Dialogue Against Manichaeans writes, quote, I say that God is always Father, since he has always his word coming from himself, and through his word having his spirit issuing from him, end quote. So notice there the Holy Spirit comes from the Father, but through the Word. In Greek there, literally, dia tu logo autu. That's literally through His Word. Okay, whose Word? God the Father's Word. So here you have a late Greek and very Orthodox Church Father saying that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father through the Son. Notice that, through the Son. He's involved in this. He's involved in the procession or the spiration of the Holy Ghost. So I think that word through there, that might be the key to getting Eastern rites to see that God the Holy Spirit's procession or spiration must involve God the Son somehow. But I'm probably not the first to propose this. In fact, I think St. Thomas Aquinas gives just such a nod to the Eastern Rites in his Summa, Part 1, Question 36, when he writes this, quote, The Holy Ghost proceeds from the Father immediately as from Him and immediately as from the Son, and thus He is said to proceed from the Father through the Son. Therefore, the Holy Ghost proceeds equally from both, although sometimes He is said to proceed principally or properly from the Father, because the Son has this power from the Father, end quote. Now, there's a man named Eric Ybarra. He has a whole new book on this filioque debate. I haven't read his book, and I don't know him personally, but we are friends on Facebook, and Steve Cunningham at Census Fidelium, he has us both on his channel, so I assume Ybarra is a very faithful Catholic, so that's enough for me to promote his book. And if you want to know more about this big filioque debate, I suggest you buy his book. Also, about halfway through this podcast here, I realized, as we're discussing the Trinity, because this is America and many people are talking to Protestants who don't believe in the Trinity, 90% of Protestants believe in the Trinity, but Mormons do not believe in the Trinity, neither do Jehovah's Witnesses, and so I realized I should probably give you some Bible apologetics. Dr. Taylor Marshall has a PDF that I'm going to try to link in the show notes, and if I can't, you just have to go Google it. I'm going to try to link his PDF in the show notes where he gives about 20 biblical passages for pretty much any matter of Catholic apologetics that you would need to look to. So really the, the issue of the divinity of Christ is very similar to the Trinity. If you can prove Christ is divine, which we can by 20, 50, 100 different Bible verses in the New Testament, we can also prove the Trinity. So if you need to show people that God the Father is God and God the Son is God and God the Holy Ghost is God, and if you need to show people that Jesus isn't just the Son of God, but he is God himself, there are many biblical passages that I will try to link in the show notes for you to show your friends who say might be Mormon or Jehovah's Witness. Okay, so that's a lot of heavy stuff on the Trinity. But if you remember two things, remember that fire analogy I gave you, that there are three distinct persons, but we do not, we do not worship three gods. We worship only one God, we worship only one God, we worship only one God. And also, let's remember how key prayer is. We've got to get on our knees for all this. Prayer is the greatest asset to approaching this greatest of our mysteries. As the Roman Catechism of Trent said today about the Blessed Trinity, 
Let him, however, who by the divine bounty believes these truths, constantly beseech and implore God and the Father who made all things out of nothing and ordereth all things sweetly, who gave us power to become the sons of God and who made known to the human mind the mystery of the Trinity, let him, I say, pray unceasingly that admitted one day into the eternal tabernacles, he may be worthy to see how great is the fecundity of the Father, who contemplating and understanding himself begot the Son, like and equal to himself, how a charity of love in both, entirely the same and equal, which is the Holy Ghost, proceeding from the Father and the Son, connects the begetter and the begotten by an eternal and indissoluble bond. Please say an Our Father for me, et benedictio Deum omnipotentis, Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti, descendet super vos et maniat semper. Amen. <laughs>